Hello, welcome to the Capital Employed Podcast. For this episode, we had the pleasure of welcoming back to the show Richard Simmons, who is the founder and manager of Derby Street Managers, based in London. If you want to know more about Richard's investing style and his background, then I would suggest listening to episode 5, where he discusses this in more detail. For this episode, Richard discusses how he is managing both of his funds through these volatile markets, as well as which sectors currently interest him and two companies he is currently researching. Richard is full of investing wisdom and is someone who I keenly follow. I really enjoyed listening to him and I think you will too. Before we begin, every so often we will be doing write-ups about stocks from around the world that have piqued our interest. These will mostly be companies on the small end of the market cap scale that go under the radar of most financial media. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, visit capitalemployed.substack.com and add your email to the list. That's capitalemployed.substack.com. Please enjoy my conversation with Richard. Hi, Richard. Thanks for coming back onto the podcast. Very nice to see you again. Thank you. It's been a very eventful uh, start to the year. How has 2022 been for both of your funds so far? Um, well, it's obviously been um, a very challenging time, not just for me and the fund, but also for the world. And I just wanted to reflect, if I may, as a sort of very, very full answer. Uh, and you'll forgive me, John, for the fullness of this answer on what is happening right now, what my thoughts are, what we've done, and what we might do next. Um, is that okay? Yeah, that's great. The first question to answer is what are the problems? Um, and there are three global problems that I can see that uh, your listeners might be thinking about and worried about. The first is obviously the war, which is um, terrible humanitarian catastrophe, completely un- uh, completely avoidable. Um, but there it is. And of course, there is the risk that the war could spread further. Well, that seems unlikely at the moment. The economic effects of the war, the human effects are, are really the most important, but the economic effects are constraints on supply, particularly in food and um, energy, bans on travel, which affect some particular stocks, and the likely uh, depression in demand that we'll see in different parts of the world. The second problem that this leads to is inflation. Now, initially, John, I thought that the inflation that we were suffering at the beginning of the year was a temporary artifact or consequence of the COVID lockdown, which you'll remember uh, shrunk some of the logistical routes that we used to to ship things around. Um, But that now looks like it's being further stoked by the commodity price rises I've just referred to, particularly in energy and food, which is clearly going to have massive impact on people, consumers and businesses. And the third issue, uh, which is a sort of underlying thrumming base note of an issue for all sorts of investment, is what the impact might be on interest rates, which are now rising, are likely to rise more because of the inflation I've just mentioned. 
and which you might also see as a something that's been a long time coming because of the um, suppression methods really that central banks have been using around the world for over 10 years quantitative easing printing money together with public spending so these are the sort of macro challenges that we're all that we're all facing to answer the second part of your question what what we've been doing the answer is in truth very little and I'll explain why again in parts if I may first of all we only really had one stock that we had to sell which we sold at the beginning of this of this war this invasion and that was Wizz Air so Wizz Air perfectly nice very well run Hungarian airline that unfortunately has on the one hand um, quite material exposure to Ukraine and Russia and on the other hand doesn't hedge its um, fuel prices so it's really I think about to be doubly hit having already been substantially hit and weakened by the COVID lockdown so that's the only thing we've sold so far. We've really sat tight on everything else because the things that we own are pretty high quality and that, and that high quality should prevail and sustain through these issues. I'll talk about this again in a moment, but really you've got to distinguish between the short-term hits and the long-term. An airline like Wizz Air, which has inherent leverage, is vulnerable. Most everything else we have is fairly resilient. What is high quality before? will be high quality again. The other issue and the other reason we haven't been going around buying lots of things, which is, uh, we were just talking about this before we came on air, John, you know, there were fantastic opportunities in the, in the first COVID lockdown. But right now, the truth is there aren't as many knockdown absolute bargains to be had as there were then. So there's no point taking the capital we have and panic buying, uh, let alone panic selling, because there's just, there aren't that many fantastic opportunities still. Stocks were very expensive a year ago and three years ago, and they're still pretty expensive now. I'd just like to add to this part of my um, rather long answer. We don't and never have owned anything that was connected to Russia. I read the uh, fantastic book by Bill Browder, Red Notice, when it came out, and really it felt like buying Russia was the wrong thing to do morally and practically. So that hasn't been an issue for us. The last part of my uh, answer is what we might do next. And I think this is more actionable, maybe more interesting for, for your listeners. I, I've already said that we're separating the short term from the long term. So we, we're not buying commodities. We're not buying oil and so on. That's just not something we care to do. We're not going to play that cycle. The war will end. Uh, and you know these things will probably go back to back to normal. Um, however, the interest rate cycle is likely to sustain upwards, and it might be possible it might be possible to do well from companies that um, have large cash balances. Um, however, first we already most of our companies have high cash balances so are already there, and secondly, it's very important not to buy businesses just for their cash, uh, and that's because. If they're not very good companies, they might misspend or misallocate the cash. And really, if the business isn't very good, um, you, you won't do well from a company that, that has cash. That, that's a lesson I've learned many times in the last 15, 20 years. 
we do have in each fund a large exposure to a single name that I think will actually do well in this next part of um, the story of the world. And that's in the, in the recruitment company uh, industry. So in the UK fund, we have a large position in Robert Walters. And in the European fund, we have a large position in a French company called Sanergy, S-Y-N-E-R-G-I-E. And Mr. Walters, Robert Walters, the founder, the chief executive, very experienced recruitment person, happened to make his results announcement this morning. And I recommend it to you because he says, the jobs market is strong, wage inflation is increasing everywhere. And he meant that as a plus. There's not many businesses that will mention wage inflation as a plus, but that's really a key driver for his sector. So as wage inflation goes up, we expect those two companies will do well because their revenues will go up and their commissions will go up. They also happen to have very, very substantial cash balances. Uh, so not only do we like that from a safety and an optionality point of view, but as I've already suggested, that cash should earn more as interest rates go up. I think the big question, John, for us is, apart from this particular sector that I've picked out, do, do equities pass through inflation? That's going to be the big question for the future. Uh, if you own high quality companies with high returns on capital, that ought to be true. That's the theory. Companies with high returns on capital are by definition earning more on their outputs than their inputs. But we'll see. This will, this will be a thesis that will be tested. And one way, uh, as I've been thinking through this question of trying to put this into practice, is to sort the companies that you own into different buckets. For example, we own what I think of as high pricing power companies that mainly deal in intangibles. I'm thinking of companies like Flutter, the betting company, and Grupo Mutui Online, which is a, a pricing website on, on the internet for financial services, an Italian company. Those are less likely to be affected. They have fewer tangible inputs. So inflation should be less of a problem for them. Then there are second category of companies which have tangible inputs but have very high pricing power. We own um, Louis Vuitton, LVMH, and own that for a very long time. And we own Kering, which is a counterpart company uh, which owns um, Gucci. And they have proven proven pricing power with very high margins. And finally, there are high quality companies that pass through tangible goods. And I'm thinking uh, of businesses like Naked Wines, which we discussed last time, and Hostmore, which is a restaurant business, which will have short-term challenges because they have tangible inputs and not as high margins. But as their inputs reprice, they should be able to reprice their, their output prices. Uh, and so I have confidence in those businesses still over time. Sorry for such a long answer, John, but those are, the, those are all the thoughts that I have. No, thank you. That was a, a great answer. Are there other areas of the market that you're finding good opportunities? Yeah, this is sort of a, a way of self-calming in a, a time of uh, great uh, anxiety. But I decided in the middle of all this palaver to go back and look in greater depth in an industry that I've always liked, uh, and I would put it in the first category that I mentioned just now, high 
intangible sort of businesses, and that's asset management. Obviously, we know a lot about asset management, you and I, because that's, that's what we do. But it's, it's an industry I've always liked, and we've done very well from it uh, with investments like uh, Impacts and um, Premier Mitem that I've talked about in the past. But I thought it was worth seeing what opportunities were coming up. And uh, I started with the UK. According to the, the stock market records, there's 91 companies that are in asset management, but that's not quite true. It turns out a lot of them are fairly small funds, really, single strategy funds that are called asset management, but business really is a collection of assets. Whereas why I'm interested in businesses where the main income is coming from asset management fees. They might, they might own some assets, but the, basically you are, you are buying a share of fees. Um, there's quite a few of those, but there were only about, uh, I'd say, 16 that were big enough to really consider. Once you get down to about 100, 200 million market cap, the liquidity is very poor in the UK stock market. So I've looked at those 16 in, in some depth. The very positive thing about them is, they, is that they, they really all have net cash. Again, that's a plus for the reason I've already explained several times uh, this morning, which that's great. The cash itself tends not to be well reflected in the market cap, so that's a hidden benefit. I would say that you can look at lots of things in asset management, but a very obvious thing to look at and what I'd recommend to your listeners is to look at the very long-term ability of the companies to gather assets, okay? So an asset manager will do well in rising markets because the assets under management go up, the fees go up. But if they're not good at gathering assets, then in challenging markets, which we might be about to go through, you know, you'll get a negative double whammy. You'll get falling markets and losses in in a customer base. And one of the reasons asset management is such a great industry is it has it has fantastic scaling. You tend to get higher and higher margins as you get more assets. It's, you can use the same number of people to manage a higher number of assets, essentially. But that has a negative impact, or what Charlie Munger would have called a negative lollapalooza effect, as they shrink their margins shrink as well. So you, you do have to look for winners, obviously, um, but it's particularly true in this business. And looking down the list and not being rude about my competitors, the top three by market cap that I looked at, Schroeder's, uh, M&G, and Aberdeen. It's pronounced Aberdeen. It used to be called Aberdeen, but it's pronounced Aberdeen. Top, top scrabble scoring company, Aberdeen. <laughs> they've all been really weak in asset gathering. In other words, they've really they've lost they've lost market they've lost market share. So I'm not saying there wouldn't be a price. Uh, looking at um, a really poor asset gatherer again, I don't want to be you know unfair, but it has been very poor. Which is Jupiter. You know, Jupiter has sustained asset losses for some time. But if you take this is my rough. My rough calculation, its market cap is under a billion. It has net cash and investments of 400 million. So over 40% of its market cap is in cash. And if you take that away and tax the operating profit, you're paying 3.8 times earnings. So that might be a bargain for somebody. 
but probably not for me. Um, it's probably still too high risk for the reasons I mentioned. The businesses that have stood out for me on this go-round, apart from the ones I already own, are two. So these are two actual names to, to go back to your original question that I would consider but I haven't bought yet. One is Polar Capital, which I think you know, and it, it's a technology specialist asset manager. It has some performance fees, and I, I don't want to make my answer too long, but performance fees are very good cream for a business. You don't take them into your valuation, but they add, I don't, and the, but they add extra cash over time. And that's really trading at very low multiple now on the same basis that I just mentioned, which is sort of enterprise value to NOPAT, just over six. So that's a that's a possible. Um, and the other is St. James's Place, which is a far more complex company. It has life insurance elements, which means it's much more difficult to analyze. But for reasons um, that I won't go into in, in detail, it has, a, it has a, a substantial hidden earning power. And I'm still going through the reports very slowly. And I should say with all of these companies, I go back to the beginning of time. So 10, 20 years, whatever I can do. So I'm going through these things slowly, but that does stand out as a possibly undervalued long-term play on saving habits, which, you know, by and large are good, whatever is happening, people are saving. And St. James has been very good at gathering assets over the years. I can't, I can't remember what the compound is, but it's something like 16% compounded over time, which is pretty good. Um, and that trans does translate, as I say, into rising revenues and rising margins, uh, which gives you a very good uh, earnings, earnings um, flow. So those, those are the two, two companies that I'm actively looking at right now. Thanks, Richard, for sharing those two. I wanted to ask you, um, if you could go back in time to when you first started managing money professionally, what advice would you give yourself? Is there anything you would do differently? Well, that's a really uh, interesting and deep question. Thank you. I'd say that most uh, superficially, in 2001, which was the first year I started charging for my services and became regulated, I was still pretty much old Buffett style, by which I mean a traditional value manager looking for pennies on the pound, 50 cent dollars, whatever you want to call it. And my understanding of what that meant was fairly rigid in that I would literally be looking for you know, discounts and asset value, companies with low PE ratios. I, never, I was never much interested in dividends, but that sort of style. And it's fine, you know, it, it can work, but it tends to direct you toward lower quality businesses. I guess the whole, almost the whole of the value management industry and my peers have all reoriented themselves over the last 20 years towards um, higher quality businesses to the extent that high quality businesses are fairly crowded space now. I think where my brethren and sisteran have possibly, if they don't mind me saying so, gone wrong or may, may be going wrong is wanting to buy high-quality businesses regardless of the price. So I think if I was going to whisper some words of wisdom into my 20-year-ago ears, apart from, you know, buy Tesla, 
by, <laughs> by Apple or whatever it may be, um, bet on the 330 it count down. It would be a, a combination of those two things, which is look for quality, but stick to the price discipline. And I think that's where I am now. Because what I'd really like to do to know, John, is what my 20 year in the future self would say to me today. But I guess that's not, that's not available to me. Where can listeners go to find out more information about Derby Street Managers? Um, well, we have a very uh, nice website. And the uh, address is derbystreetmanagers.com. It's way overdue saying www and saying one word, but it is www and it is one word, derbystreetmanagers.com, D-E-R-B-Y. And on there you'll find quite a lot of information. We have a LinkedIn um, page as well, and uh, both sites have uh, links to podcasts like uh, Your Good One, John, and uh, other broadcasts we've made, letters, shareholder letters. Feel free to sign up for our, our quarterly uh, letters, which has got a lot more great content. And uh, do do get in contact if you're interested. Richard, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. It was a pleasure to uh, listen to you. We'll have to get you on again in the uh, future. That would be a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Very nice to speak to you again.